Shalom and welcome to the History of Judaism, the History and Story of the Jews. My name is Yossi Silverman. I am a licensed Israeli tour guide uh, and a Jewish educator and licensed Israeli tour guide. And I will be narrating you through the History and Story of the Jews today. Um, some of you might have been expecting this podcast not to be happening uh, if you've been following my um, various websites and media. Uh, I think I advertised the last time that that might well be the last podcast unless somebody contributed. And the good news is somebody contributed. So this podcast and uh, quite a lot, number of the next few podcasts are thanks to uh, David Gordon. If you want to contribute to the podcast, uh, please follow the instructions at the end. And remember that this podcast is only possible due to your contributions. So go to Ko-Fi uh, or Patreon and there'll be also instructions at the end of this podcast. So this podcast is going to focus on the fall of the House of David or a large part of the fall of the House of David, focusing specifically on the uh, conflict point, the conflagration, the meeting between the two different cultures and empires and kingdoms, the kingdom of Judah and the empire of Babylon. Um, we're going to have a, a quick uh, recap. Also, I'm going to make a few things clear, which I don't think I've been very clear on in past podcasts about the timeline here and what's actually been happening, maybe fill in some gaps. And then we're going to discuss the collision between these two political uh, organisms as it were so the story so far uh, Joe as we said before Josiah a really big uh, turning point in what what actually I was reading um, recently and uh, somebody called it what Martin Buber who's a great uh, Jewish thinker called it the uh, theopolitical moment in in history in Jewish history would be the, the death of King Josiah. I mean, really, that's when it all changes because Josiah makes all these uh, these religious and political changes, as we mentioned, not in the last podcast or the podcast before, but the podcast before that. Um, makes all these great political and religious changes, and then he dies in the Battle of Megiddo uh, by the hand of Pharaoh Necho. And then we mentioned... In the podcast, uh, uh, not the last one, but before that, how uh, the people of the land, the Amhaaretz, we had a whole podcast on the Amhaaretz. You should go listen to that if you haven't done or watch it on YouTube. It's actually a video. So the Amhaaretz, the people of the land, uh, they appoint Jehoahaz, Jehoahaz to be the king. Uh, this does not go too well because a big a big focus of uh, of the podcast and of my my view of the whole situation is of uh, this conflict between uh, Judah and Assyria uh, and uh, Judah and later on Judah and Babylon as being really essentially a, a geopolitical thing when the the prophets are prophesying they're not just prophesying about uh, uh, religious misdemeanors they're also making a a political uh, commentary on geopolitics so uh, 
There's two influences here we mentioned. The influence of Egypt and the influence of, of uh, Assyria. Um, then later on the influence of Egypt against the influence of Babylon. So uh, Pharaoh Necho takes great offence at the people of the land um, appointing Jehoahaz. And so Jehoahaz is carried off in chains to Ribla. Uh, and then uh, Jehoahaz's brother, uh, Joachim, previously known as Eliakim, changes his name to Jehoachim. He replaces Jehoahaz and he is an Egyptian puppet. This is a bit of a shame for Judah because they're supporting Egypt, but actually Egypt is not the ascending power at the time because shortly after this event, Pharaoh Necho goes to fight the on behalf of the Assyrian Empire. And he's fighting on behalf of the Assyrian Empire against the Babylonians. And the Assyrians and Egyptians get a massive whopping, a great uh, beating, a spanking by the Babylonians at the Battle of Carchemish. So then the Babylonians, uh, they have to really place their dominance on the area. And uh, one thing which I don't think I've put into context so much is why did the Babylonians bother coming here? What's the process that brings the Babylonians to the area of Yehudah, of Judah? Well, it's very simple. Again, to refer back to the uh, the podcast that you should really watch or listen to, the one I did during lockdown, my lockdown special, um, we tried to uh, emphasise the role of the Philistines. Now, I'm sure there's some people here who are like, OK, you're, you're talking about um, Iron Age 2. You're talking about, meaning you're talking about the era of uh, Yehuda fighting uh, Assyria and then Yehuda fighting Babylon. Why are you bringing up Philistines again? Philistines, that's David. And you haven't really touched on David. And so why are you bothering telling me uh, these stories about uh, the, 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 the Philistines? Why is it important? It's very important, actually, because the Philistines' whole reason of coming to um, uh, the Levant, coming to the area of Yehuda, is to subjugate the area because it's a, it's a buffer zone against Egypt. And there are two ethnicities in the area as we mentioned in the lockdown special. The first ethnicity in the area are the, the Philistines living in Philistia, and they um, the evidence seems to point at them being some kind of uh, proxy state almost of the Egyptians. Uh, if you go to various different uh, Philistine cities, Jaffa being one of them, uh, or Ashdod being another, there's evidence of um, of Egyptian uh, influence and also there's there's even there's even uh, correspondence ancient correspondence which was found uh, between uh, the Egyptians and the Philistines and specifically a king of a place called Afek which is uh, is actually a uh, excavated tell Tel Afek so that was a Philistine city by the way to know more about Another example of a Philistine city I'd recommend going to my YouTube channel where I uh, tour around the ancient Philistine city of uh, 
Gat, also known as Tel Safit. So a different Tel, a different mound, uh, Afek, sends troops to the Egyptians. There's a correspondence about them sending troops. So they're a kind of proxy state for the Egyptians. So the Babylonians have to put down the Philistines and they're going to be a thorn in their side. And if you're going to do that, well, you might as well make sure the Judeans are behaving too. And it's also interesting because I don't know about my reading of the Bible. Um, by the way, if you don't know what I'm talking about, I recommend you do have a quick look at the Bible. Uh, I, I always thought of Judah being the Philistine and the Philistines being on opposing sides. That's not necessarily true for the whole of history. Um, because we see, well, Judah seems to be supporting the Egyptians. Uh, and so do the Philistines too seem to be supporting the Egyptians. Admittedly, Judah seems to, to vacillate between the Egyptians and the Assyrians or the Egyptians and uh, the Philistines and the, uh, the Egyptians and the, and the Babylonians. So against all this backdrop, the Babylonians are now uh, won the Battle of Carchemish. They're heading to Philistia. They they um, very interestingly they don't smash. You'd assume the Babylonians would go and smash the place up. No, they don't. They just make sure that the the Philistines are aware of who is the new boss in the area. That they're now going to give tribute to the Babylonians and not to to Egypt anymore. And uh, this is the first. This is actually recorded in the, the Chronicles of the Battle of the Babylonians, the Babylonian Chronicles, which is, uh, again, another kind of uh, stone chiseled thing that the, you can that uh, archaeologists found rather like the, the prisms we've mentioned in the past. Uh, and it talks about uh, Nebuchadnezzar, the Nebuchadnezzar of the Bible and how he, he puts down Philistia. And he goes home and is uh, gearing up to deal with with Judah next. So against the backdrop of this, Jeremiah. Now I'm going to admit to making an absolute mess up. Jeremiah is not the father-in-law of anybody except for Josiah. I thought I think I said something like he was. I, correct me if I'm wrong. I'll reread my po re-listen to my podcast. I think I said he was the the father-in-law of uh, of. Uh, Jehoiakim this is not true it's worse than that he's the grandfather of Jehoiakim because he's Josiah's father-in-law so the king's father-in-law uh, prophesies against this and I think I, I me messed up also the what the process of Jeremiah being put in his place so Jeremiah prophesies against the Judeans telling them they cannot support Egyptians that they're going to get in a lot of trouble for this Jehoachim uh, paying lip service to Babylonians for a little while then he goes back to the Egyptians so this makes the uh, Babylonians very upset um, and the uh, they, they head back to uh, to towards Judah to besiege Jerusalem around about the same time Jeremiah speaks out against this. He writes a scroll. The scroll is read by the king's scribe Baruch ben Neria in the presence of Joachim the king. Uh, Joachim then flies into a rage upon hearing this scroll in front of him and all the people and tears the um, scroll into bits with a pen knife and throws it in the fire. And Jeremiah runs off and hides. 
Babylonians come and they they're, they're heading towards it to siege Jerusalem when Jehoiakim dies and leaves his son Jehoiachin in charge now one of the things I think the reason why he actually throws goat flies into such a crazy rage is he probably recognizes that uh, that Jeremiah is is probably good for his word here he's probably right and that's why he gets so angry anyway Jehoiachin is left in charge or Konia is as is known uh, the uh, Babylonians come and they make their their first if I'm not mistaken siege of Jerusalem uh, get into the city they carry away uh, Jehoiachin then they carry away uh, the court uh, Jehoiachin is carried away in chains back to uh, to Ribla as well they've taken Ribla Ribla is now one of their cities uh, after this they place their own puppet king in charge, uh, an uncle of Jehoiachin, meaning meaning a, a brother of Jehoiachim, meaning another grandson of Jeremiah, called Matania, who changes his name to Zedekiah, the righteousness of God, and said, which is very strange because he carries on the, the trajectory of his brother. He. Uh, uh, rebels again supports Egypt I believe it's not actually clear that Babylon really is gonna gonna be that ascendant really Jeremiah is thrown in a pit and I, I think I described it last time just not particularly accurately thrown in a, a cistern and he, he his legs sink down into the mud of this cistern and it's, it's very you know he, he sits in the pit in the cistern prophesying until he is rescued by a uh, a eunuch of the king called Ebed Melech possibly a, a uh, Ethiopian eunuch he gets him out and he gets after the fact very sensible uh, servant tacit support of the king who's like oh no some evil courtiers threw uh, Jeremiah into a cistern of course not completely against of course completely against my ruling and Jeremiah runs off again. And we're left with Zedekiah. Where are we going to leave it now? Zedekiah then left waiting for the impending doom. So just to, just to put some clearness into what's happened. Uh, uh, briefly from Josiah dying again. We've got Jehoahaz taking over. Jehoahaz being replaced by Jehoahim. Jehoiachim ruling uh, until he, he rebels. Then he goes back to against the Babylonians. Then he goes back to support. To, then he uh, supports the Babylonians. Then he goes back to supporting the Egyptians. The Babylonians come over. Jehoiachim dies. Joachim takes over, who's then carried off by the Babylonians, leaving Zedekiah. That's where we are right now. And Zedekiah is left waiting for the impending doom um, which we, we're going to deal with uh, next time we're going to focus on the actual destruction of Jerusalem next time but now what we're really dealing with to make it clear this is the end anyway it's the end anyway because the the uh, most of the uh, nobles have been carried away from Jerusalem that's what we left at and we've got Zedekiah left with like a skeleton crew uh, controlling the city uh, and, and he's, he's also on the same trajectory 
there's there's you know i think one of the problems is thinking there's going to be a, a crazy twist in this story there's not really going to be a crazy twist on the story but what i think we need to do is to zoom out and to, to look at the different parties involved we've discussed a lot the kings themselves we've discussed a lot the people of the land we've discussed the prophets what we haven't discussed is who is actually coming their way who is uh crawling towards judea so who are the babylonians so as you know most people know we're talking about a mesopotamian empire who lived between the tigris and the euphrates they are uh, rising up on the bones of the assyrian empire uh, and in in my opinion i could do a really really modest job at describing them personally i just suggest if you're really interested you go and listen to dan carlin's king of kings podcast he does an amazing explanation of who precisely are the babylonians and who precisely are the assyrians assyrians my remit is to explain how they affect the growth of the jews um so back to babylon uh, babylon to give you a brief summary which i think dan carlin will do a better job on uh the, the babylonians really are a uh, a kingdom before Assyria starts uh, uh, rise with Tiglath Pileser and Sargon the uh, second and they're also an empire afterwards as well uh, they're just one that's constantly being kept in check by the Assyrians there's always you know the, the Babylonians somewhere hanging around there in the background until Sennacherib same guy we've been talking about uh, over the last few few podcasts the assyrian comes and uh, uh, allegedly destroys babylon there's no actually no uh, archaeological evidence of this he's supposed to have flooded babylon and turned it into a swamp and said well that's that nothing more is is happening uh with babylon this time again that's that's not really um necessarily think a historical reality uh Yes, it's true to say to a certain extent Babylon and Assyria are very similar. They both speak Aramaic. Uh, there's a discussion of the Aramaicization, the okay, the making Aramaicness of <laughs> of the Babylonian culture. Uh, they're dominated by a, a uh, ethnicity in the south of the region. I'll hopefully get a map. Yeah, I'm terrible at that. Hopefully, get them a map. Uh, they're dominated by this. this ethnicity in the south called the chaldeans but it's, it's a very heterogeneous area really with all these different groups the medes the babylonians the assyrians uh, and they're kind of all mixed together so as we said babylonians power in its own right they really have it out for the assyrians they get fed up with assyrian rule uh the first go at this actually is within the assyrian monarchy itself uh one of the major Assyrian emperors in the past was a guy called Esarhaddon and he has a massive uh, civil war with his brother Shamashumukin uh, Esarhaddon is the emperor of Assyria and Shamashumukin was the emperor of Babylon so that was very much uh, uh, always this Babylon versus Assyria motif 
was something very much uh, always there. And then finally, uh, a group of uh, kingdoms within the Assyrian Empire, led by Babylon, rebel against Assyria and gain control. And again, all the time being led by Babylon. Uh, one of the big, big differences between Babylon and Assyria is uh, the Assyrians, as the name apply, implies, Ashurim in Hebrew, worship Ashur, which is uh, their specific local god. Uh, the Babylonians, they worship their own special god called Marduk, maybe Muraduk. Uh, if you're familiar with the story of... Uh, the book of Esther, which it has a whole load of historical problems with, I'm not going to go into. The interesting thing that there are the names, because one of the protagonists in that story is called Mordechai. Mordechai contains the name of the Babylonian uh, god Marduk. So Marduk, they, they are the pro-Marduk people. If you think this isn't to do with religion, you're, you're sorely, sorely wrong. Because one thing to really understand about this whole story is it's not about conquest it's about control it's a kind of ancient almost absolutism uh control absolute power but this is absolute power represented by tax and tribute of the uh, sub kingdoms the sub kingdoms see this uh, emperor as the king of kings the highest king who they all must respect and almost worship and they do this by tax and tribute we don't have modern communications you can't have the uh, babylonian secret police hiding you know bugging everybody's bedrooms uh, instead you've got to have people giving lip service saying you are the king uh, giving lots of money and gold and stuff uh, and behaving uh, not not this kind of mo modern totalitarianism. Get that out of your head. You know this. Don't think of some crazy despot because they can't be, because they're they're all the way over in Babylon. When uh, we're dealing with a situation in Judah, they're in Iraq. This is in Israel, and it's not not next to each other. I know, unfortunately, some people do think we're next to each other. We're not that close. One similarity between uh, the ancient absolutism and the modern totalitarianism, at least between the Soviets to a certain extent and the Assyrians and Babylonians, was this concept of population transfer. You had this thing where uh, if Stalin wanted to control a group, he would pick them up and take them from where, where they were and drag them all the way inside Russia to places like... Uh, like Siberia and the, the eastern coast of Russia. He did this with Jews. He did this with uh, with uh, peoples around the Caucasian area. He did this with ethnic Koreans. Um, they do a similar thing. Is that they don't, again, they don't have the resources to take every single person in an area and move them. Uh, they take the elite. So they'll take an elite of Judah and bring them all the way into Babylon. Uh, it's possible the Assyrian Empire did this with the ten tribes. Uh, as we mentioned, there's a division between Jude, uh, one Jewish kingdom or one kingdom of uh, 
ethnically homogenous people called the Judeans and their other ethnic homogenous state was Israel so you have two kingdoms the kingdom of the north yes there is Game of Thrones as we said before Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah uh, and uh, Sargon is supposed to have taken away the ten tribes of Israel but what does that actually mean we're not sure because it's very difficult to have taken absolutely everybody away uh, most likely took away the elite and everybody else ran south to their brothers in Judah why do they uh, keep coming in why did this Babylon keep coming and we're gonna now we'll put one siege and then we'll take your one king away and then we'll come back so it's it's all to do with control it's to do you don't want to wipe out a land and they pretend they they like to think they wipe out a land i mean you know sennacherib says he's wiped out babylon has he really that's a question i think it's more to do with control you can say you've wiped them out sennacherib never conquered uh jerusalem but he certainly says he as we said in the podcast a uh, uh, number of podcasts ago he left jerusalem left as a a bird locked in a cage on his uh, chronicles and that's clear it's a method of control telling people how scary you are regardless of whether you've done it or not also it's another example of control you go to to um, the assyrian uh, palaces they've got all these uh, battle scenes on the walls and i believe the, the babylonians are similar they have these battle scenes on the walls showing how strong they are the, the massive statues that you have in Babylonian palaces and some of them very strange the kind of bearded men with wings images of gods and things that's all to to humble the person who's there I think I've had the picture on my Instagram of me standing at the gates of I think Nineveh in the British Museum and I look tiny compared to these massive winged bearded statues and again that's to do with control uh, what's all this control for what's the babylonian angle and this you really have to understand to understand the story and um, a, a, a amazing historian by the name of bickerman uh explains it as being to, connected with an intense babylonian idea of a sense of justice that the babylonians firstly they feel they are fulfilling the will of their god marduk in all the writings in the chronicles which uh, people have managed to read it explains that, that the babylonians really believe they're fulfilling the will of god and also they give people fair warning you know they'll come they'll besiege jerusalem how many times before they finally destroy it that's because they're, they're giving warnings they're making the sense of justice you don't just come in the first time round kill everybody drag everybody away destroy the town apart from anything else you're not going to get any taxes you come in you make threats you uh explain that everybody has to behave everybody has to fulfill the will of god and if they don't they'll come and they'll destroy the place and then they do it uh and, and also they they don't destruction is an interesting idea they, they more likely when they come to a place they destroy temples they don't destroy the idols inside the idols are taken back to um uh babylon 
where they would be put in the uh, a kind of incarceration in the temple of their god. Uh, it's possible they had a very Olympian, very Greek way of thinking of gods, where these gods, you know, they had personalities. They'd sit down with each other and they'd play backgammon. And so, you know, once you'd conquered one country, you'd have to, as well as taking the king away in chains, you'd take the god away in chains, and he'd have to sit with your god for the rest of eternity, where your god, you know, drank beer and made fun of him. It was probably a little bit strange when they finally took the temple in Jerusalem. We'll discuss what, what to deal with that later. Uh, and it's replaced as well in, uh, in Jewish sources. In biblical sources, Jeremiah uh, talks about the justice which is going to be meted out on the, uh, Jew the, the people of Judah by God through the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. So again, it's this idea of justice. You do something wrong, the gods will punish you through the intermediary of an actual king, a foreign king. On the other hand... You, you have this um, this extend ex, this uh, extension of uh, Judean political power through uh, what could be ostensibly Assyrian and their Babylonian methods. Uh, you see the example of some kind of uh, tax or produce collection for a tithe uh, in the archaeological sites. The Lamelech jugs, if we mentioned before, it was there possibly collection jugs. Uh, also, you have large the growth of large palaces, the growth of large ca ca uh, castles. You, you, you see the, the growth of Judean political control, which then uh, I think there's this uh, kind of almost a, an idea that, you know, you rise so high, so high and so high in politics. The question has to be. When are you going to fall? Are you going to fall? Are you going to meet something to stop you? And uh, that's what the Babylonians represent. That's the thing which is going to stop the rise of the Davidic dynasty. So what are we left with? We're left with a fight over control. We're left with Zedekiah. And the question is, Zedekiah going to be good? Is he going to follow the control of the kings of Babylon? Does he believe that the kings of Babylon really have control this time because the Assyrian Empire has just fallen? Or is the Egyptian Empire going to be the next one? And uh, one thing I'd like to finish on is it's very easy in hindsight to say what on earth was Zedekiah doing rebelling again? Hadn't he seen his... Um, brother being taken down by the Babylonians then his nephew well actually how long has the kingdom of Egypt last for what are you going to do you're going to go with a new startup company or you're going to go with the old faithful Egyptian empire so the next podcast we are going to burn down the kingdom of Judea Thank you very much for listening. Um, I've now been able to, through uh, kind donations, especially from David Gordon, uh, fund the uh, hosting on SoundCloud, which in my opinion is the, the best option for podcasting for this podcast. However, I am still working in menial labour on archaeological digs, 
and I'm still working also in childcare when the digs aren't going on. I work as a uh, uh, kindergarten assistant and I'm proud of that kindergarten. This, the, I believe society would fall apart were it not for kindergarten assistants. But this does not leave me with uh, great time and resources for the production of podcasts. Uh, the sound quality is connected to the fact I've still been using the same uh, not exactly high standard microphone for the past few years that needs to be replaced but more essential than that it is the issue that I have to pay bills so if you want to support the ne the uh, the podcast in the future uh, it would be helpful for you to either do one of the following things if you want to do something free subscribe subscribe right now on SoundCloud or uh, leave uh, a good uh, report on uh, iTunes uh, or absolutely go to my YouTube channel and uh, click subscribe there. You can also see extra videos which are connected to the podcast and also tour guiding in the political system in Israel and all these very interesting things. Please click subscribe on my YouTube channel and uh, also uh, in order to stay afloat you can contribute through going to co-fi.com slash scout israel or um, uh, patreon.com slash scout israel who knows you might be named in the next podcast so thank you for listening uh, you've been a great audience and this has been the history of judaism mm -hmm.